Hey everyone, I'm Artisan, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. So, I, I don't want to open this episode with like something of a downer or something depressing, but uh, this topic is something that's like really important to me, and it, it wouldn't have felt right if I didn't at least try and uh, spread some kind of awareness about it. So, last week, there was a fire at the Pet Alliance of Greater Orlando, and um, the like, like the damages to the infrastructure itself is like um, uh, irreplaceable, and they're gonna move locations. But um, the the thing that like truly, truly like gets to me is um, the fact that there were like more than a dozen or two dozen cats that uh, lost their lives in the fire. And uh, like, like I said, that does get to me because um, in, in like the last year that I've actually owned cats, I've uh, been able to understand the, the the positive influence that they can have on your life and you know like every morning i'd wake up and mikasa would be like rats at my door waiting for me and now levi and armin do the same thing and just being able to see them in the morning and and feed them and play with them and see like in their expressions and their faces that like i'm actually making a difference in their lives and that kind of a, a sentiment is like so powerful and um, like for that reason, I- I've grown this affinity for cats and animals at large that I didn't fully have prior. So l- just reading something about this or-, or reading something like this, it's like just like really, really heartbreaking and devastating. And I want to at least, um, let everyone know that if you are, are in a position to help and you want to help, what you can do is go to petallianceorlando.org. And, uh, like as soon as you go to that page, the first thing that pops up is this little window that, um, explains the fire and and there's this, um, this button that you click on and it'll take you to the donation page right away. Um, and you know, if, like I said, if you're in a position to donate to, uh, if you're in a position to donate, uh, donate whatever you can, because every little thing helps. Uh, if you happen to be in the Orlando area, then, um, you know, uh, there's information on the website and social media pages about where you can go to actually physically donate food and supplies and things like that. And, um, you know, if you do not live in the Orlando area, which I myself don't, and I do not know how many listeners do, um, something you can also do, uh, this doesn't, you know, directly benefit the, the shelter in Orlando, but, uh, you can find a local animal shelter near you and, uh, donate any food supplies to them and supplies entails like blankets and toys and kennels and just you know things like that that um that pets would appreciate having and um i'm sure the employees at those shelters would also um express their gratitude towards you for for doing something kind thank you all for giving me that quick moment to express all that um now we'll get into the episode so this week we have singles from uh bring me the horizon dying wish silent planet Varsity, um, Loveless, and a couple of others that I'll get in-depth on, and then new records from Thrice, Employed to Serve, Lil Huddy, and then the big three of Idola, The Plot in You, and Spirit Box. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the episode.
I mentioned this on my Twitter account a couple days ago, but I'll go ahead and get into it um, in the podcast. So uh, at the end of every month or start of a new month, I do the top 10 artists of the prior month episode. And I've been doing that since February. Uh, that was actually the the concept that this whole podcast started on. I did the top 10 artists of January, and then I was like, hey, let me go ahead and do February as well. And then I did March, and then from there, I started doing weekly episodes, or weekly episodes to whatever extent my mental health allowed me to. Um, but throughout all that, I was still able to get out the top artists of the month episode every month. Um, and that is going to stop right now. And the, the reason for that is because we are getting very, very close to year-end awards season. It's actually like kind of creeping up in a way that I didn't, I didn't really expect it to. Um, and so I, I've said before, uh, for the year-end stuff, there's going to be uh, a series for the top 100 songs of the year, and then the following week, a series for the top 50 records of the year. I kind of think that by doing those monthly recap episodes and ranking the artists in order, that is kind of showing my hand as to like how I feel about these projects this year and who I favor and what I'm listening to regularly. I do want to stop that because I don't want to give any more away for what's going to happen at the end of the year. I do feel like I've already said too much. If you listen to those episodes, then yes, you have a good idea probably of what the upper echelon of the list looks like as of right now. And I kind of just want to, you know, pause that before it gets out of hand. And I'm saying that because I know some of the releases I've heard in September and some of the ones that are coming out next week and then what's lined up for October and November, it's going to get really, really fucking crazy. And I would absolutely be a a an idiot and spoil somehow, some way what my favorite song and record of the year has been up to the point of that recording. So that's going to stop. Um, you know, it's not to say it won't come back. It's just there's no reason for me to do episodes for September, October, and November and believe that I'm, you know, keeping everything close to the vest and being secretive about what my list will look like. So having gotten through all that, I'm going to go ahead and get into the singles that I picked out from last week to talk about on this show. And the first single, I'm not even going to introduce it. Y'all already know what the fuck it is. I'm going to get toxic for a second. If you don't like pop, bring me the horizon. You get no bitches. I don't know what more this band has to do to show everyone that they are more than capable of taking their music into whatever direction they want to and excel at it for that matter. I, so I, I've said this before, probably, um, I'll say it again. I'll say it a fucking thousand times from here on out forever and ever and ever. Amo is my favorite record of all time. Yes, I've heard every other Bring Me the Horizon album to, up to this point. I like all of them. I fucking love all of them for that matter. Even Count Your Blessings. I fuck with that shit so fucking hard, man. Pray for Plagues and fucking Off the Heezy. I still listen to on a regular basis. But there's just something about Bring Me the Horizon's pop side that I, I just think eclipses everything else that they've ever done before. And for that reason, I think Die For You is this exceptional piece of music that they 
you, you know, it, it was a risk, sure, coming off of post-human. I, I think maybe some people could have been expecting something heavier uh, coming off of that record because of songs like Dear Diary and Kingslayer. But also keep in mind that record had teardrops in one by one. So, you know, it really shouldn't be a surprise that they took Die For You in the direction that they did. I did see somebody, um, it, it, it might have been a couple people actually, refer to Die For You as like post Malone core. And uh, sure, if that's the sonic tone that you picked up off of it, then whatever, I guess so. I wouldn't call it that. I think, um, I think Die For You actually resembles a lot of what I heard last week on the band Camino's record. Just, you know, with like a, a bit more of an aggressive flair to uh, the music itself and the theme centered around Die For You. Um, it, it, it's just so fucking catchy and everything about it works. I love, um, the, uh, like the scaling back on the verses. I love the build up to the bridge. I, I know some of y'all thought that was gonna be a fucking breakdown. <laughs> like I said, kick fucking rocks, dude. Um, just, I, I love everything about Die For You. I love everything about Bring Me The Horizon. And me, like, caping so hard for this song is not just me being a stand for the band, but I, I love it. I, I think it's an incredible song. I would have felt this way no matter who wrote it. It just so happened to be written by, in my opinion, the greatest band of our generation. Let's keep this emo pop trend going a little bit longer on this episode, because right now I want to talk about the new Loveless single, Sorry I'm a Downer. This follows Loveless One, which came out back in June. A ton of great tracks on there, uh, including the song Better, which, if this makes any sense, Better is the best song I've listened to this year that is not actually from this year. So, you know, that was like a really cool discovery on uh, on the part of that. Uh, Sorry I'm a Downer just kind of picks up where that record leaves off, and I would say kind of leans not heavily more into the whole emo stuff but like a, a, a little bit more it's very very like just look at the song title sorry i'm a downer and then that's the hook itself and it's just it, it, it's so like brooding but at the same time there's this like really really big pop flared what's happening like this emo pop and it, it all just works really really well the production on this track is fucking astounding uh, I think Julian is the perfect frontman for this project, and he really, really pours everything into what they're doing, and then Sorry I'm a Downer is no different. New single from Dying Wish off of Fragments of a Bitter Memory, which comes out October 1st. This time, the song is Severing the Senses. It does become increasingly difficult for me to be so invested in like a heavy, heavy release. And, you know, that goes for metalcore and hardcore. Rarely do I ever just like hear like just straightforward like heaviness. And I feel the attachment to it that I would like something more melodic based. Um, all, all that being said, Dying Wish have done everything right in the lead up to Fragments of a Bitter Memory. Every single that they've put out so far just fucking delivers. And, and all of it, 
they, they sound so unique to their own tracks. Not, none of the singles so far blend with each other. Like, I can listen to Severing the Senses and be like, yeah, that is Severing the Senses. I can listen to Title Track and recognize instantly that it's Title Track. Just, and, and you know, that's a, that's a little bit of an issue that I feel a lot of metalcore and hardcore bands kind of fall into, um, you know, to no fault of their own, but that's just something that I pick up on. But Dying Wish, they feel so like, vital to the scene right now because they are showing how this shit is done and not just that but how it's done so fucking well at a level that you would not think a band can reach on their debut record we're going to get into debut record discourse a little bit later on in the episode but dying wish themselves are like shaping fragments of a better memory up to be something that is like memorable and iconic and i genuinely cannot wait to hear it like everybody in the band carries their own weight. They all sound amazing. Emma Boaster is one of the best vocalists in metalcore, hardcore, whatever you want to call this. She is a fucking star. And I think Dying Wish, I have no reason to not believe that on October 1st, they're going to deliver the record of their careers and establish themselves as names in the scene. I'm assuming no one listening to this episode right now has ever heard of the band Maybe Someday. Well, you're about to right now because I want to talk about their new single, Torn. I have no idea how I even came across maybe someday. I just remember listening to their debut single back in July called Without Warning, and I was, like, so taken aback by the absolute nostalgia trip that song took me on, and the same thing applies to Torn. Everything about this song reminds me of, like, that 2000, or, like, you know, 2005 to 2009, maybe 2010, kind of, like, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, whiny post-hardcore. Um, you, you know, some people, like, just have this affinity for like, you know, like heaviness and chugging riffs and breakdowns and that kind of shit. And that's cool. Uh, give me a whiny vocalist over, like, give me a whiny vocalist with like his style laid over the same fucking like riffs that you heard from the Devil Wars Prada back in 2007, 2009 on Plagues and then, um, with Roots Above. That is really what Torn reminds me of. I think it's just a, a really cool throwback song. And, you know, I guess this applies at large to Maybe Someday because I just said that Without Warning was in the same category. Maybe Someday are providing me a, providing for me a sound that, like, it, it just instantly brings back these, like, really cool memories of when I was, like, really, really starting to get into the scene and I was becoming enamored with music in the fashion that I am today. Um, torn it's catchy it feels like so chaotic in all the right places it's just everything that i could have asked for off of like a throwback post-hardcore song and i am fucking in love with this band a brand new silent planet album is coming out on november 12th it is called iridescent and last week we got the third single off of it terminal This is the smartest band in metalcore, and it's not even close. And when I say smartest, what I'm what I'm referring to is how, 
like there are layers to everything that Silent Planet does, uh, just in terms of like the way the songs sound, the way they're structured, the lyrics, the artwork to records, the the track ordering on records. Everything this band does is so like carefully thought out and well put together, and there is nothing surface level about Silent Planet. You cannot hear a song of theirs once and believe that you already have the bigger picture. This song kind of adopts the like slow and brooding nature of i would say deftones and loathe and terminal utilizes like that sound to the fullest advantage it possibly could have the trade-off between garrett russell and mitchell stark is incredible on this song um and just to read off like some of the lyricism and like how deep it gets uh in this one verse from mitchell you get idle hands and naked hearts what sleeps in our skin waiting to tear us apart I count the pills, you count the time, there's never enough, never enough to change my mind. And then right after that, it goes into Garrett's part. Don't look back, see of the dead, I turn to salt in a hospital bed, I'm shaking hands with stillborn clocks, I'll stare to the east until time stops. There really seems like nothing that this band cannot do. They execute everything to either near perfection or just straight up perfection. And Era Descent is going to be... It just from from understanding like what is left on the release calendar, Era Descent feels like one of the last few releases of the year that can actually like shake up what's happening with the year end stuff and really really like make a mark on the scene and be a record that so many people hold so close to their hearts, even though it's coming out very very late into the year. And also, I, I highly recommend watching the music video for this song rather than just listening to it. The experience is uh, it, it cannot be matched. Three more singles to get through. Right now, we got Sick by Varsity, which is off of the album Welcome Home, just announced for a November 19th release. This is the follow-up to the Cloud City EP from last year, which I believe was one of the strongest releases last year as far as records go. Uh, there's a song on that EP called Shameless that was one of my most played songs of 2020. And I don't know if like I hold Sick in that same regard, but what I will say is that Sick is still a very, very good lead single. I think that it... Uh, assuming that I know what direction Varsity are taking on Welcome Home which is not too different from Cloud City Sick, is the perfect introduction to this new album cycle. Um, the way that I would describe this song, and I guess Varsity's sound at large, is that they kind of fill the void that's been left by issues for the time being. So, like, that, like, you know, the, the integration of, like, hip-hop into post-hardcore and, like, that bounciness to everything that they do as far as, like, instrumentation and then vocal delivery. There's, like, a real, like, R&B style that Joey Varela has going for him right now, and I, I think it is... The perfect match for Varsity and Sick is just another addition to their already loaded discography. Andres has given us what I am assuming is the final single in the lead up to Adventures of a DIY Astronaut, which drops on October 1st. It is called Prom 2012. Andres is right there with like Ice Nine Kills and Don Broco when it comes to understanding music videos and how to execute like every weird fucking idea that you have in your head. 
because Prom 2012, it, it's just like this video in an arcade, and then everybody in the band is just dancing along and, and playing video games there and it's just like this it looks really really fucking cool uh, even when like you know andres's lyrics are like um i don't want to say self-loathing but like definitely condescending um like here uh one of the verses i'm saying i'm sorry i'm saying it softly maybe i'm saying i'm sorry wasn't ever enough you're grinding up on me caressing me softly maybe we graduate and i don't ever see you at all and then right after that it goes into the chorus which um just the way that the instrumentation matches to the chorus and specifically the um the piano notes going here it's really really fucking sick fuck growing up i don't want to do that shit we all just want to party fuck growing up i want to go out with a bang like andres has such a good understanding for like what he brings musically what his fan base wants to hear out of him and you know, I said this about I Sign Kills before, like, that marriage between what an artist wants and what a fan base wants, it is so, you know, crucial, and, and when that can be executed to perfection like it is here, it's a beautiful thing, and, you know, uh, Andres has not missed on a single yet for Adventures of a DIY Astronaut, I don't see why he would miss in any aspect of the album. Last single for this episode, we got Can't Swim, back with To Heal It All, You Have to Feel It All, which is off of Change of Plans, out on October 22nd. I don't know if I prefer this over the prior single, Deliver Us More Evil, but to heal it all, you have to feel it all. It does feel bigger, like it feels more massive in like the grand scheme of things, and the chorus on this song is just so like euphoric and like honestly like arena ready. I know that's not really the band, the kind of band that Can't Swim is, but that's just the vibe I get off of to heal it all. It's like 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 the song was just like made for this giant production and. I, I think it's a, a sound that Can't Swim excel at. I'm very, very intrigued now, like what I already was, but like even more so now about what the direction of Change of Plans is going to be ultimately. I, I think what these two singles so far have shown is that Can't Swim, like the prowess that they're exhibiting is fucking top notch. And I like I'm still so taken aback by this song and the way that like I felt about it because it Can't Swim it is a band that I've always liked and maybe at times loved, but I cannot say that I've like felt this attachment to them the way that I have with, you know, a bunch of other bands I've talked about on the show before, some bands coming up in the record reviews. Um, this is going to be a big thing for a big deal for Can't Swim. I, yeah, I'm really, really excited for this record. So just to quickly read off the remainder of the singles from last week that I said on social media that I liked. Press F by Attack Attack. Great Heights by Bears and Trees, Paradise Kill the Silence by Cold Rain, Planet Shit by Every Time I Die, Way Out by Fox Era, Hold Me in the Moonlight by Goody Grace, V12 by Ian Dior featuring Lil Uzi Vert, Lost My Mind by Kamiata Plus featuring Young Bambi, Big Bear by MNYS, Fall For Me by Sleep Token, Game Over by Sunspear, like Love by The Amity Affliction. Another Night Alone With You by The Home Team featuring Yvette Young. I Don't Love You Like I Want To by This Wildlife featuring Happy Fits. Hell Yeah by Tilly. 
and Teeth by Wage War. There were no singles that I said I didn't like or didn't mind, uh, but what I will say is that one of the singles, Fall For Me by Sleep Token, I initially planned to talk about it in depth on this episode, but the reason that I'm not doing that is because the week that this episode is dropping, uh, that happens to also be the release week for the Sleep Token album, This Place Will Become Your Tomb, so I... I think I'm just going to wait until the episode where I review that record to go in depth on Fall For Me and then the rest of the album as well because, you know, I, I do have some things that I want to say about Sleep Token and Fall For Me in particular because it's a very interesting song, but like I said, we're going to wait another week for that. Now let's get into some record reviews. There are six records to talk about this week. And I want to acknowledge right now that these first three I did like and I'm going to say some good things about the final three genuine fucking game changers life changers those records are i don't even know what to say and hopefully i figure out what to say by the time i get to them all right how about this first record up is teenage heartbreak by lil huddy Also known as TikTok star Chase Hudson, so, you know, do with that what you will. Uh, the reason that I'm starting off with this record is not only because it was my least favorite of the releases last week, but also because Don't Freak Out has been stuck in my fucking head all day, so I, I, I guess feeling like maybe if I talk about it now, it's just gonna, it, it's gonna get out and I'll be able to move on. Don't Freak Out is far and away my favorite song on the record. It was released as a single not too long ago, and it, immediately when I first heard it, it was just a, a, a tune that I knew I wasn't going to be able to like forget its catchiness anytime soon. Uh, so that song, it, it's kind of like a supergroup unit in a way. So, you know, obviously there's Lil Huddy, but then it also features uh, Ian Dior, Travis Barker from Blink-182, and every other scene project in the fucking world today, and then Tyson Ritter from All-American Rejects. Uh, that song, it, it's so... Like, it's so effective in everything that it tries to do, and I think, you know, it, it's easy to pass off uh, Lil Huddy as an artist, as just, you know, another TikTok star who's just looking for, you know, more fame and more ways to stay relevant. I think he has a place in scene music. I I do feel about Lil Huddy similarly to what I feel about, like, um Jaden, who had his record out back in July. There's a place for this stuff, and... I'm not going to single out or outcast Lil Huddy immediately just for coming from TikTok and not needing, a, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, leech off of our scene. There were a few other singles that supported this record's release, um, and they date back to like maybe January, I think, so this record cycle has been going on for quite a while now. Um, I, I know there was 21st Century Vampire and The Eulogy of You and Me. Both those songs I really liked from the beginning. America's Sweetheart, I was initially kind of against. It just didn't really feel like what I, I believed Lil Huddy was fully capable of. But I have come around on that song. It, it is pretty good. Hold up a second, because I'm also watching a YouTube video while I do this. And I'm pretty sure I just saw somebody wearing green off-white dunks. If that's what they were, then I am. Yeah, I'm buying those. Um, I, I, I've been sitting on green off-white dunks for a while now. And um, 
I'm taking this as a sign to just go ahead and buy them. Anyways, back to uh, Teenage Heartbreak. Party Crusher got a music video the day the record dropped. Th- that song fucking rules, man. I love that shit. I-, I think it's one of the, you know, highlights of the album. A- a- and yeah, it-, it it fits every trope that has emerged from that, like, TikTok-influenced side of pop punk, if that's what you want to call it. Um, but uh, I can't act like I don't like a lot of music that comes from that section. You know, I, I do like Lil Huddy. I like... Jaden, um, I know like Willow and Maggie Lineman weren't necessarily like TikTok influenced, but they do have like a lot of similarities with, um, with this kind of music, yet I still really, really enjoy them. And then the fucking, you know, king of all that, Machine Gun Kelly, I don't really want to get into, but I do like quite a bit of tickets to my downfall. I'm not going to pretend that I don't. And I know I keep mentioning Jaden, but I do feel like his record is like the the biggest comparison I can make to, to Teenage Heartbreak, because both of them do kind of suffer from the same thing, which is a, a sense of repetition and some of the songs blending with each other and not really being like identifiable by uh, any unique points that they make. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the the midpoint of the record is treated as No More, which is an interlude. So prior to No More, you get these songs in a row. Teenage Heartbreak, America's Sweetheart, IDC, Party Crasher, and then Don't Freak Out. I think listening to those five songs gives you, like, as much of an understanding as you would need as to what the rest of the record sounds like. And then, I'm kind of 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 the belief that, like, after an interlude, you should get, you know, at least a couple of songs that differentiate from what you heard prior to the interlude. That doesn't really exist here. After No More, you get into Headlock, which does feel a lot like everything that you heard before. And I say that, but I want everybody to also understand that I do like these songs. You know, Headlock goes into Lost Without You, and then that goes into the two singles I mentioned, The Eulogy of You and Me and 21st Century Vampire. The record closes with How It Ends, which, to 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 its credit, is a different song. It has a, a much more slow-paced feel to it. Um, but outside of that song, kind of like, you know, being identifiable on its own, and I guess also don't freak out because of the amount of features on it. Some of America, or not America's heartbreak, some of teenage, I was looking at America's sweetheart's title. That's why I was like getting confused. Anyways, a lot of teenage heartbreak does like kind of feel very same a, a, a lot of the way through. And I, I don't want that to like really come across as a detriment because I said these songs are good. I like them and good songs are good songs. But given the the caliber of some of the releases from last week, I guess I held um, the records to like a higher standard, and that's a standard that I don't necessarily believe Teenage Heartbreak met some of some of the times that I was listening to it. Um, but but all that being said, I did still enjoy it. I think you know, good music is good music. You like what you like, and you shouldn't apologize for it. I don't have any you know regrets about listening. In, to Teenage Heartbreak, I would actually like extend a recommendation to everyone listening to this right now that at some point you should listen to Teenage Heartbreak because I, I think above all else, you know, you can say what you want to about Lil Huddy and TikTok and uh, modern day pop punk and all this stuff. I am of the belief that it is a good record, not a great record by any means, but a good record nonetheless. And sometimes that's really all that you can ask for. So having gotten through Teenage Heartbreak, I now want to bring up a record that is as far removed from it on the scene spectrum as possible, 
and that is Conquering by Employed to Serve. So I had heard one single in the lead up to this record, that being The Mistake, which dropped not too long ago. And I, I thought that song was cool. I, I really, really liked it. And that was my reasoning for wanting to go ahead and review this record. Um, I also didn't realize until last week that I had I had already listened to this band's previous album, Eternal Forward Motion, which came out back in 2019. So like I thought that Conquering was going to be my introduction to the band. But no, I already had like this idea of what they sound like, but even with that foreknowledge, I was still really pleasantly surprised with what I heard on Conquering. In particular, the opening song, Universal Chokehold, I believe is like the gem of this record. That song starts with this extended intro that feels like you're about to get something like akin to death metal or black metal, yet it, it goes into these sonic tones that do have like some, uh, I was gonna say, no, not even death metal, but just like deathcore influence but at the same time there's also metalcore and hardcore infused in there and that's kind of the sound that carries this entire record. The following song Exist achieves a lot of those same feats while also having its own identity with like these different stylistic changes throughout it and at that point in the record I was kind of able to figure out that the two acts that Employed to Serve really reminded me of were Code Orange and Dying Wish. And I don't say that because all three of those bands are heavy bands with female vocalists, but like just that's, those are the sounds that I was able to like kind of pull apart from what is happening on Conquering. There's like just that like heavy riffage of Dying Wish with that same brutality. And then the weird factor that Code Orange utilized to perfection, in my opinion. Ultimately, I do like every song off of Conquering, but the, the one area where the album loses me just momentarily, and this is the reason why I gave the record, like, I, I think a 9 out of 10 on social media, was the implementation of clean singing in songs like Twist the Blade, Mark of the Grave, and World Ender. The clean singing, it's not bad, and I want to emphasize that now. I don't dislike what they were trying to do with these songs, but th they were, like, jarring moments that even if just for a little bit, did manage to take me out of what I was listening to. And those moments where I, I was like, man, I really, really don't know about this. I don't know like how I feel about it in comparison to everything else that's happening on the record, which I fucking loved. You know, so like I, I just don't really know how to feel about them. But if I don't know how to feel about them, I can't necessarily cite them as like highlights or, or positive things that I took from the record but the moments on Conquering that shine they fucking shine dude like the the breakdown at the end of We Don't Need You is one of the like heaviest things I've heard in any song all year and it like that was enough to just like you know pull me right back into the record from any moment that I might have been lost on and, and like that's the side of Employed to Serve that I like, I listen to this band for that stuff, and, you know, I, I don't mean to come across as, like, complaining about the clean singing, because, like, look, look at the other shit that I've reviewed on this episode and then prior episodes. I obviously do not have a fucking issue with clean singing. I just don't know how I feel about it being a part of this record that, you know, otherwise has its standout moments come from the heaviness in it. 
So, you know, overall, I, I would say that if you're into, you know, what I've mentioned already, like metalcore, hardcore, deathcore, dying wish, code orange, any of those things, if like that is your shit, then I really don't think you'll be disappointed with conquering. I think Employed to Serve is a band that people need to be paying attention to because they are capable of a lot of really, really cool shit. Let's jump into the new Thrice album, Horizons East. I kind of missed out on Thrice being like one of my all-time favorite bands. I, I know there are a lot of people that come from my generation and i say that at the risk of aging myself um but but no seriously there are a lot of people around my age who look at thrice as being like a pivotal band for them and i really really wish i did have that connection to this band because the material on you know their records that i like i really really fucking like like if i were to make a list of my top you say 50 or 60 favorite records of all time i'm pretty sure visu would have a good chance of being on it and then uh, a couple of years ago, there was To Be Everywhere Is To Be Nowhere, which had Black Honey. Black Honey might be the best Thrice song ever made. Uh, Palms from three years ago had The Grey, which, you know, every now and then I, I, I do play. So, you know, I, I do have like some attachment to this band's material. Not a great attachment, but there is some there. Um, I do think that a fair bit of Horizons East can fall into that category of what I just said about The Grey, where... You know, these are songs that I go back to regularly. Um, but at the same time, I also struggle with the idea of this record potentially being one that I forget about later on, even though I really, really do enjoy it right now. And I don't think that's necessarily like a, a, a gripe that I put towards the material on this record, because I think everything on this record is either, you know, solid or good or even great at times. I think what it comes down to is the timing of this release and the week that it came out. And, you know, on a week where Thrice was good, there were three bands that were perfect. And maybe that's not really fair to say, but this stuff happens and I'm not going to like knock Thrice for it. It's just, you know, unfortunate timing, I guess. And I feel bad for dwelling on the negatives when there are so many positives to this record. The opening song, The Color of the Sky, it starts off with, like, this minute of, like, ambient noise that builds itself up perfectly, and then it gets into the rest of the song, and once the full instrumentation comes in, the song just, like, it, it erupts in this manner that really, really lets you know that you are in for a, a good time on this record. And then afterwards on Scavenger, that song, to me, the highlight of it is just this, like, um, th not not the point of Scavenger, but, like, the the thing that I was able to draw the most from that song is just how fucking talented Dustin Kensrew has been this entire time, and how this song like if you've never uh, if you've never heard a Thrice song before, I don't really know how that's possible if you if you're in the alternative scene. But let's just say there's someone out there who has never heard a Thrice song before, but wants to at least like give them a chance, give this record a chance. I would say Scavengers lets you know immediately what Thrice is about and like that grittiness that Dustin has in his voice. Buried in the Sun, track number three, is a song that feels like it's the entire band wrapping itself around 
Dustin's vocal style and delivery and like, you, you know, it, it is really weird to explain it that way, but it's just like, take the, what I just said, like the greediness of his voice and imagine that as a, a song with the instrumentation being implemented in that same way. That is at least how I interpreted Buried, Buried in the Sun. And for that reason, it is one of my favorite songs on the record. I want to shout out four songs on here that feel like they scale back the concepts of Horizons East, but like each of them in almost completely different ways. Northern Lights, Still Life, uh, Dandelion Wine, and Unitive East, which that one is the closer. Northern Lights, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, what I heard a lot of Coheed and Cambria do on, um, The Afterman, which was that like, um, it was like that two part record from 2013. Uh, and what I mean by that is Northern Lights, it's like a, you know, it's an alternative rock song, but it, it has like this chill factor to it. It's really laid back and it's just a really soothing song, but soothing without being like so slow. Um, Still Fire and Dandelion Wine, I would say do venture more into that like slow pace territory, but it still has like all of the really cool elements that make up Horizons East. And then Unit of East, the closing track on this record, it's like mostly uh, centered around this like um like piano rhythm and it's very very different from anything else on the record a and for that reason like it stands on its own and it has like this completely unique package to it that you cannot get with any of the other tracks and i think that's really really cool and it is such a such a highlight to close the album on i don't think me giving this record a nine was necessarily unfair because like you know i do like it i, I think it's you know, I, I said earlier, I'm pretty sure I said earlier already, it's good, and then at points, great. It just came out in a week that was already so cluttered that it makes a Thrice record so hard to stand out when they are, you know, the veteran band of the week. And, you know, no shade towards Thrice or their status in the scene, because they've been around for, like, well over two decades at this point, and so they've earned every bit of a claim that they're going to receive and have received up to this point. And I wanted to do my part in praising Thrice because they really, really do deserve it. Okay, so we've now arrived to the point of the episode where I have three albums left to talk about. And those three albums were among some of my most anticipated to listen to for all of 2021. And all three of them have not left my fucking rotation since they dropped. I, you know, I had to make the time to listen to all the other releases from last week, and, you know, I'm glad that I did, you know. I'm glad I listened to Lil Huddy, Employed to Serve, and Thrice, because it provided some variety, and it was like, you know, good breaks in between the next three records. But, you know, I wake up every day for the last uh, couple days, and I've wanted to listen to these three records. I go to sleep listening to the three of them. I, I spend so much time throughout the days listening to these three records, because they mean the fucking world to me in ways that I both knew they would and also didn't exactly know that they would. So I'm going to try and take my time with this. I don't want to rush through these records. I'm going to try and emphasize to all of you listening right now every single point I have to make about why these are three of the best records of not just this year and not just the decade so far, but quite possibly seen history. First up, is going to be Swan Song by The Plot in You.
I don't really know why I do this, but my way of measuring if a band falls into the category of being one of my favorites of all time is do they have a three album stretch that is perfect in my opinion and i can say now that the plot and you have done everything to put themselves into that category you had happiness and self-destruction in 2015 which has some of my favorite songs any band has ever written with the likes of mild ways and um better vibes time changes everything take me away they followed that up with Dispose in 2018, which went into a kind of a vastly different direction than Happiness in Self-Destruction. But you look at songs on there like Feel Nothing and Disposable Fix and uh, Not Just Breathing. And you're like, what the fuck is going on with this band? Why are they so good at everything that they do? And all that translates into what Swan Song is and what it became and the fucking juggernaut that i think the plot and you have like uh, ascended towards being i just mentioned mild ways and feel nothing when talking about the prior plot and you records those being the two lead singles for those records meant that whatever the lead single for swan song was like going to be it had a lot like a lot to fucking live up to man like almost a seemingly impossible task. So, The Plot and You uh, put forth the song Face Me as the lead single for this record. And it just immediately upon listening to Face Me for the first time, I knew that there was nothing to worry about with whether or not I was going to feel like so insanely strongly for Swan Song. The production on Face Me is of the highest standard possible in music. And, and then not just like on the production end, but also the delivery and execution by all the band members involved. Um, the way that Landon performs the chorus, so, you know, the part that goes, So just face me. That's how you'll get me singing, by the way. Um, it, it is quite a different take from what he's done with not only the plot in you, but also his solo material. Um, you know, th just the chorus on Face Me, it sounds like almost intentionally lazy the way that he's holding out the notes but it matches the energy in the song to a fucking t and then you go into uh the bridge that is like all of the more um like heavy and chaotic side of the plot in you and when i say chaotic i'm just referring to like i, I guess the amplification of whatever is going on everything that the plot in you does has this like sense of chaos to it but a lot of times it's a controlled chaos even when the songs kind of slow themselves down and it, it lingers more into what Landon does with his solo material, there's still this sense of like, what the fuck is going on? And also like unpredictability. Like, I really, really do believe that the plot and you have the same thing going for them as Bring Me the Horizon when it comes to the inability to like have this expected direction for what the music is going to sound like. Like, you know, um... The plot in you going from happiness and self-destruction to dispose should have been that like, um, like that should have been the hint that this is a band that is so fucking versatile and they can do whatever they want to. Like it's of the same caliber as going from Sempaternal to That's a Spirit and then That's a Spirit into Amo. Completely different sounds all around at the very core of those records. You have no idea 
what you're going to get. And that is what happened on Swan Song. It was impossible to go into this record, like, already assuming you know what it was going to sound like, even with Face Me and then Enemy and Paradigm as singles. Because even if you're getting more straightforward songs with those three singles, you press play on this record and you're immediately greeted with Letters to a Dead Friend, which the first half of it kind of feels like electronic and a little bit more pop-based, and you think like, okay, this is going to be like a slower song, like a, a heavy song at its core lyricism, but in terms of the sonic like tones that are going on, a slower song. And then the last half of it descends into like borderline metalcore it is really really fucking astounding how many like shifts and turns they were able to pull off with just that one song and another thing that i really really enjoy about landon as a vocalist is his songwriting abilities and just how like upfront he is with everything that he's feeling like he's not masking anything behind like um weird analogies it's all just like right there in your face what he's feeling and i think that's fucking cool man um, just to give like a, an example for that, the very first verse on the song and thus the first verse on the entire record. Some nights I lay awake and think of ones who'd pass away, what they'd be like and how they'd act if they were here today. I get choked up thinking of things we used to say and do. We probably fucked each other's lives, but now we're making do. Track number two, Fall Again, exemplifies everything that I love about the plot in you and the concepts and ideas that I think they are like just masters at and in a league of their own. Because Fall Again is like this really just strange and uncomfortable heavy song that like puts you in a position where you're like, should I even be listening to this? Like, is this something that I have the right to like be made aware of? And then it goes into a chorus that has like melody to it. It is pretty catchy, yet it's still so heavy. And the plot in you do not sacrifice any of their personality and their identity and everything that makes up who they are for the sake of a hook. They take what they know how to do and just implement it into these structures in such a profound way. Too Far Gone got a music video when Swan Song was released and that is like as of right now the most tame of the singles. It's the slowest song if you want to use that term but I wouldn't even say it's a slow song. I think it's just a differently executed song compared to Face Me, Enemy, and Paradigm. Uh, Too Far Gone kind of shows off more of Landon Tour's vocal range just in terms of clean singing. And what I said about Face Me where there's like this sense of like laziness to how he's holding out notes in the chorus, Too Far Gone is the complete opposite of that. It feels and sounds like the dude is just singing his heart out and it's really, really sick. Both to Blame is one of my favorite songs on the entire record. I think it's another example of the plot in you just like delivering with every concept that they show complete prowess in, which is pretty much everything that they fucking attempt and everything that you would categorize as like whatever part of the scene they belong to. Um, and with Both to Blame, it, it this kind of goes back to what I said earlier with like controlled chaos because both to Blame has a pretty straightforward structure to it. There's nothing that really deviates from the norm as far as that element of the plot and use music goes. Yet, it, it all still manages to feel like something that is just, like, so, like, dark and brooding. And it just feels, like, uncensored, I, I guess is what I'm really getting at. Um, the chorus on that song, it, it's, it, it's like, um, 
Landon is like, he's screaming all of these lyrics, yet it also sounds like he's singing them. It's just this really, really strange, like, mixture of the two that someone with only, like, his range could actually pull off. And, and lyrically, it's just tugs at your fucking heartstrings, man, at least for me personally. To clear your name, we're both to blame. I left you alone with no one. I'm ashamed. It's killing me because things I said, it's so hard to see the clearest in the dread. The song Hole Without Me has some of my favorites on the entire record. Like, that song just goes into more of what I've already talked about with the uncomfortable factor and that control chaos. Yet, this is one of those instances where said chaos feels like it's going off the rails and like the different stylistic changes that are happening with that song and how it's another example of what I was saying about both to blame where even in Landon's heavier moments, he still feels like a, a proper vocalist who is getting across everything that he means to in such a, um, like such an emphatic manner without having to be some vocalist who leans into screaming because he doesn't really know what else to do. And like, again, it's just, it, uncomfortable is the word that I keep going back to, but it, it's like this record, it, it sits you down in a chair, ties your arms behind your back, and just forces you to watch and relive all of the worst moments of your life, the darkest moments of your life, and there's nothing you can do to stop yourself from being re-exposed to this trauma. It is so... I've already said dark and brooding before, I cannot think of anything else to really describe it as. It's kind of sinister, man. It's evil. And at the same time, it is beautiful. And I, I really think The Plot and You are one of the only bands who could pull something like that off. A and pull it off to the extent where I am saying that this is one of the best records of the modern era. The closing song, Freed, does this thing where it starts off kind of slow and there are like just these weird ambient noises going on in the background. And the first time I heard it, I was like, Nah, you're not getting me. I, I know this is not a slow song. I listened to the rest of the record. I fucking know what's coming. This is the buildup for something massive. And guess what? It was the buildup for the most massive fucking drop in this entire record. Um, so at the midway point of Freed, everything just like descends into one final instance of heaviness. And it, it you know, it, it is one of, I don't want to say it's one of the heavier moments on the record because it doesn't really, really feel that way in comparison to some of the other moments, but it just feels like one of the most powerful moments on the entire record. It's the moment where, like, as soon as you hear, like, you know, those floor toms being hit, you, you just reflect on everything that you've been listening to up to that point and you're like, fuck, man, I, I listened to this. They did this. And it's like this sense of accomplishment and happiness on the part of you as a consumer because you know you just heard something that you're never going to forget but then it's also like man that journey like it did something to me it was like i don't want to say like traumatizing or harmful or anything like that because that's that's definitely not what swan song did to me it just like it put me in a position where you know if you asked me like hey do you want to listen to a record that is going to you know surface some memories that are you know, kind of triggering to you, I would have been like, no, nah, it's okay, man. But then you tell me, oh, it's from the plot in you. And I'm like, yeah, let them hurt me. I'm okay with that. And that is what I got out of Freed. That's what I got out of Swan Song altogether. Swan Song provided for me this experience that what's crazy is that an experience that like is probably should be once in a lifetime. 
I got it three fucking times on Friday, man. And we're going to get into the other two right now. But, like, Swan Song, I had a- as high of expectations as anyone could have for any record. And they were not only met, but they were somehow exceeded. And that means that subconsciously, there was a part of me that somehow didn't really think the plot and you were going to deliver a third perfect record in a row, and they fucking shut me the fuck up by giving me Swan Song and giving me this collection of tracks that I will never, ever let go for anything. So for this next record, my understanding is that it was actually completed near the end of 2019, so almost two years ago. So, in actuality, this was meant to be one of the best records of 2020, but because of, like, constant delays due to the pandemic, I am here now, in this moment, in the present, to tell all of you that it is one of the best records of 2021. The Architect by Idola. So just some background on Idola for anyone who might not be entirely familiar with them. They are fronted by Andrew Wells, who is also a touring member of Dance Gavin Dance. I do not want to try presenting it as like some kind of undisputable fact that Dance Gavin Dance are the kings of Swancore, but what needs to be understood is that the genre, at least in the the manner that it's been presented in for the last, you know, 10 years or a little, a little bit above that, the genre does not exist without Dance Gavin Dance. So it is fair to say that all of the well-known Swancore records and songs come from Dance Gavin Dance. And I've been saying Swancore without actually explaining what that is to anyone who might not know what Swancore actually entails. So I'm assuming everyone who is hearing this right now has heard of Dance Gavin Dance before and hopefully Dance Gavin Dance songs before. That, like, crazy structure that all the songs have and, like, how chaotic and all over the place they are with the amount of, like, different, um, like, guitar tones that are going on and, like, all that screaming from John Mess and then the clean singing from whoever is fronting Dance Gavin Dance, all those elements make up Swancore. And that's kind of what, um, you know, other bands who, I guess, idolize Dance Gavin Dance, um, have attempted to do. And a lot of them do it really, really well, Idola being one of them. There's also uh, Wolfenbear and Dwellings and, you know, the, the Swancore scene thrives. Let's just put it that way. Um, but yeah, it is fair to say that the well-known er- uh, area of Swancore comes from Dance Gavin Dance. And I guess in that manner or in that same like breath, it's likely that a lot of people view Dance Gavin Dance as being the best Swancore band. Um, I kind of feel like the, the last... Um, uh, Dance Gavin has been a band for like 16 years, but the genre hasn't really existed for that long. What, what I was trying to say was Dance Gavin Dance have been the best Swancore band, in my opinion, because not many others were able to kind of get to where they are in terms of how well they understand their sound and the prowess that they exhibit when playing this kind of music. I do think Idola got close on some of their other records. Uh, Wolf and Bear, their record for 2017, I think they came close. Dwellings in 2018, that was close too. But just look at the body of work from Dance Gavin Dance since Tilly and Pearson joined the band. You know, uh, Acceptance Speech, I do like for the most part. 
instant gratification and mothership, I would argue, are perfect records. Artificial sl- artificial selection. I always fuck up that name, man. Artificial selection has uh, uh more than a handful of good songs. Afterburner, I feel like, was the point where there became this opening for a band to kind of take over Dance Game and Dance's spot at the top of Swancore. I like Afterburner, but I do not love it. Uh, there, there is no conversation in which I will entertain the idea of it being even in the upper echelon of Dance Kevin Dance records. This has all been an incredibly long-winded way of me saying that I not only believe that The Architect is the best Swancore record in the last couple of years, I actually began asking myself, is this the best Swancore album in history? Have I ever heard any band, whether it be Dance Kevin Dance or Wolf and Bear or Dwellings or anyone else in Swancore, execute the concepts of the genre to the extent of perfection that Idola did on this record. I genuinely do not know. And the more that I listen to The Architect, the more that I believe, yeah, this is the best Swancore has ever fucking sounded, man. The record opens with two of the singles that supported it, Hidden Worship and Counterfeit Shrines. I do think that uh, on one of the episodes from last month, I talked about Hidden Worship and I was a, a little bit um, like, not too keen on it. I did like it, but I don't think I expressed, um, the amount of gratitude for that song that I should have. Hearing it as the opener for the record, it makes complete sense. It's the perfect buildup for uh, the rest of the insanity that is going to come on The Architect, and I thought Hidden Worship really, really succeeded in its spot. And then it's followed by Counterfeit Shrines, which, um, was it the lead single? I don't, it has to have been. Because I don't think Perennial Philosophy was. So yeah, Counterfeit Shrines was the lead single. And that was... So I just say Hidden Worship was the perfect song to open the record with. Counterfeit Shrines was the perfect song to open the cycle with. It was the best song that they could have chosen to like give you an idea of what the architect sounds like from a production standpoint. And also from uh, like the structure of the song. Because it is wild and just all over the place. And that is a recurring theme that you hear throughout all of the architect. And again... This is Swancore done at maybe the best it has ever sounded. Uh, this next song after that, it was not a single, but I fucking hope it is. Caustic Prayer. That song is insane. I love everything about Caustic Prayer. And there's a really, really good example here of the the songwriting capabilities of Andrew Wells and just how uh, well-versed he is in that area. I've got a feeling you've been selling me out. I never bought it. I never wanted for you to be so cynical. Your disposition is a foot in the grave. We're never honest. I never wanted for you to celebrate when you get led astray. For most portions of Empty Gardens, it is a a little bit more laid back, just a little bit more relaxed, but it's like so soothing and almost like like jazz infused in a way. And, you know, that's an area that um, a bunch of other Swancore bands have gone into. Idola does it as if like that was their core sound and there's no like learning curve for them to go from a song like caustic prayer into empty gardens and it's just really really amazing to see a band like be so well versed in every facet of their genre in a way that again i don't know if i've ever seen another swancore band fully achieve before occam's razor is like this piano based interlude that maybe I would have, uh, you know, put a little bit later in the record, not so much like right after, I guess, I guess four songs in is a good spot for it. Yeah, let's just forget I was going uh, with that argument. Um, But Occam's Razor is just this really good break between what you've been listening to, and then it goes into Perennial Philosophy, which was a single for this record, and 
Perennial Philosophy, maybe it's because of the piano intro, reminds me of something that I would have listened to in Persona 5. Persona 5 is my favorite video game of all time, for anyone who doesn't know, so there was, like, that immediate hit of, like, man, like, this song feels like home. Like, I feel like I'm right where I should be listening to Perennial Philosophy. And then even after, like, those Persona 5 tones and, and like, little hints of, the song itself just fucks, and it is one of the shining examples on the architect of Idola completely owning their sound and their genre. And this is a record full of those moments for that matter. Forgotten Tongues is this clinic in how to do like trading off between uh, screams and cleans. And in the middle of that song, it, it, it has this moment where it's one of the more melodic sections on the entire record. And there's like this emotion behind Andrew's vocals and the crazy guitars going on in the background and it's like this this moment of like complete harmony and not that there was nothing on the architect similar to what's going on in forgotten tongues up to that point but it was just one of those instances where like if for some reason by forgotten tongues you didn't get it and you didn't understand what this record is trying to do you have to realize it on this track it is undeniable what idola are doing on the architect and how like much of a priority this record is to listen to not just if you're into swancore but if you just consider yourself to be a fan of the scene in general forgotten tongues is a song that like at this point puts you in your place and tells you like hey this is fucking cool listen to this unequivocal nature further hammers in everything that i've been trying to say about the architect and towards the end of that track there's this section that is just instrumental and you know, what I was saying about Forgotten Tongues, if you didn't get it up to that point, then you really need to understand it then. I guess right here, this would be where you need to actually listen to the instrumentation and realize, like, man, it's not just Andrew that is fucking carrying his weight with this this record. It is the entire band. Everybody is doing exactly what they need to be doing in order to get across how perfect of a release the architect is. And unequivocal nature is just, I think I've already used this term, but it's a clinic on how to do this stuff. Alchemist Ascendant is another um, interlude track, but this time there are vocals laid over and it's like very poetic. We enter this world inspired to create, destined to ascend, seeking the canvas on which to cast our mark. You chose many to paint yourself upon, but were betrayed within. It stole the dance from your legs, the brush from your hand. Took your voice, took your vessel, a creator wronged, but it couldn't take your light. The radiance left, the radiance you left in your wake, the return to creation, we are forever illuminated. Man, that is fucking crazy. <laughs> Uh, that was my first time actually ever, like, reading the lyrics off and looking at them, or, like, directly in front of me. That is... That, that is wild, bro. Elephant Bones is another song that kind of switches back and forth between, like, being, like, you know, chill and relaxing and vibing, and then into uh, some heavy sections that... Th there's still this, like, unison between those two portions of this song, the two sides to Elephant Bones, and everything has this immaculate flow that... You know, it, it's so hard to come by for any band that kind of ventures into that mathcore realm of the genre. And Idola, you know, we're like how many songs deep? And Idola are still showing that they've been sitting on this fucking thing for, you know, almost two years. So for almost two years, they have been the best band in Swancore. And some people, myself included, just didn't fucking know about it. And that is really, really nuts to think about. Mutual Fear. So this did get released as a single a couple of days before the record dropped, but I didn't hear it back then because I was waiting to listen to the entirety of The Architect. 
Mutual Fear is my favorite song on the record as of right now, and I th- that can easily change because there's so much on this album to like really sink your teeth into and enjoy the fuck out of. Mutual Fear features John Mess, who is the screamer from Dance Gavin Dance, and it- it's kind of hard to like decipher uh, Mutual Fear from like what Dance Gavin Dance do in almost every sonic tone. The way to distinguish that this is Idola and not Dance Gavin Dance is because I believe this is the this is better than any Dance Gavin Dance song from the last couple of years, maybe aside from Chucky versus the Giant Tortoise. Mutual Fear it it has like so many layers to it, and everything on this record has layers to it, so maybe that doesn't really hold a lot of weight. But with Mutual Fear, um, the trade off that's happening between John Mess and Andrew Wells, it feels like this is like i don't want to say the peak or the pinnacle of swancore but in some ways it feels like this particular song is what swancore spent the last number of years building up to ancient temperament is the longest song on the record it is six and a half minutes and the last half of it or almost the last half of it is this instrumentation section instrumental section i'm sorry is this instrumental section that is so different from anything else that happened on the architect up to that point but that amount of time that it's just kind of this um like just this more like uh scaled back song it kind i don't think i don't know if this is what it's meant to do but it kind of at least for me personally it gave me some time to kind of just reflect on what i was listening to with um the architect it's similar to what i said about freed on swan song ancient temperament it just kind of like it gives you that space to breathe and just like reflect on how fucking perfect the architect was and how like listening to that song for the first time that was kind of where i thought in my head like man was this the best swan album i ever listened to i don't know i gotta go back and listen to it again so i did and then the same fucking thing happened in that ending portion of ancient temperament i'm like this might actually be the best swan record i've ever listened to in my life that does not mean idola is the best swan band ever there's still so much that dance game and dance has done for me that you know, it, it's hard to like put a band on a pedestal above them right now, but at least as far as like individual works, the architect, if it's not the best Swancore record I've ever heard, it's tied with whatever Dance Gavin Dance's album was, maybe fucking Instant Gratification or something. I, Idola just kind of cemented themselves with this record, and that's crazy to say because they're not a new band. They've been around for a minute now, but this was the first time that I heard them and I thought like, man, that is fucking Idola right there. Like they did that shit. They are, at least for the time being, the new kings of Swancore, and I, I cannot stress enough how badly I want everyone to go listen to The Architect. Uh, uh, the, the promotion for this record kind of got fucked over in, in some ways by the next record that I'm going to talk about because uh, those two records were on Rise and they were scheduled for the same day. I don't really know why that was the decision made because everyone... Even the biggest Idola fan could understand, like, The Architect was going to get fucked over a little bit by being released on the same day as the next record that I'm going to talk about, but I still saw a lot of attention for this album on the TL, I still saw a lot of buzz about it, a lot of people praising it, a lot of people, you know, holding it in such high esteem, and that is great to see, and I need to see more of it, I need more people to be exposed to The Architect, I need more people to understand what I am trying to say when I say that Idola fucked on this record, man. So now, we have one final record to talk about on this episode, and if I'm just being completely 
open and transparent with everyone listening to this right now, this record is a big reason why I even started Ulterior back on January 1st. Because when I was thinking if I wanted to really do this, one of the things I thought of was like, what potential records are coming out this year that I would feel passionate talking about? And this was one of the first ones that came to mind. It wasn't announced yet, but anyone could have kind of figured that this was going to happen this year. So, you know, just the prospect of that made me very, very excited. And then getting to listen to the album as the singles or getting to listen to portions of the album as singles were being released. All that happened was the anticipation kept building and building and building. And I was like, man, this is a real moment. I really, really have uh, the privilege of getting to hear this record and then talk about it later on. So all of that was in reference to the debut album by Spirit Box, Eternal Blue. I do feel like it's impossible to exist in the scene and not have heard of Spirit Box by this point. Maybe not listen to them, but you had to have at least like heard the name Spirit Box because they have become one of the most talked about and buzzed about bands in all of metal or metalcore, whatever you want to say they actually play. Just off of Eternal Blue, I can't really decipher that because there's a lot going on in this record, but whatever genre that they are part of, or genres for that matter you cannot have not been exposed to Spirit Box by this point yet. Um, so, the, the kind of some background on Spirit Box. Uh, two of the members, Courtney Laplante and Mike Stringer, came from a now-defunct band named I Rustled a Bear Once. I Rustled a Bear Once, um, they, they were doing a lot of really, really crazy and outlandish things at certain points of their careers. I think by the time that Hail Mary came out in 2015, they had, like, a little bit of... Uh, not like a core spirit box sound, but there were some elements on Hail Mary that you can pick up on what was like kind of transferred over into spirit box. It's similar to how the last Attack Attack album feels a little bit like a prototype Beartooth album. In some ways, Hail Mary has concepts that if you go back and listen to right now, you can understand like why spirit box took the direction that they did once that was Courtney and Mike's new project. Uh, the way that this band kind of has progressed over the last couple of years has been through a handful of singles. So after they put out the singles collection in 2019, which has some of my favorite songs from that year, like uh, Belcara and uh, Bleach Bath, they started putting out, uh, like I said, just singles every couple months. So there was Rule of Nines and then Blessed Be. Um, and those two songs, I think, were where I was like, I, I had already believed in Spirit Box by then, but those two songs, I was like, man, there is something going on here. Like, there is really, really like a, a, a shift in where the attention lies in the scene. And it's, it, it's always going to be about like, you know, those bigger, higher end bands. You know, there will always be, and, and I love these bands, but like there will always be people talking about Bring Me the Horizon, Motionless and White, and like those upper echelon bands. But we need some new life in there. We need a band to break through that ceiling and get to that, that uh, obtain that status. And Rule of Nines and Blessed Be kind of told me, like, hey, maybe that could be Spirit Box. Maybe this is going to happen. And then they... So, first of all, those two singles are not even on this record. So, they just had two perfect songs that they kind of, like, 
left to the wayside, and that's fine. Listening to Eternal Blue, I don't really know if they would have fit in uh, anywhere on this record, um, but that's okay, because not every song that you write is meant for a release. And then Holy Roller came out last July. Holy Roller was kind of the band's first like taste of viral fame, because what had happened with Holy Roller was people were reacting to it on YouTube and the music video itself uh, it has like this like really like midsummer feel to it that made for the perfect kind of a reaction because of how crazy that video is and how well it executes the idea of transferring between Courtney as a regular person singing in a field and then transitioning to like this demon within her just screaming with like blood coming um out of her mouth and around her eyes and shit like that um so and then just the heaviness of that song was also really, really a, a cool factor in getting attention onto Spirit Box. So, I don't think Holy Roller was actually meant to be on this album because there was a like a Q and A that Courtney was doing a couple months ago on it was either Twitter or Instagram stories. I can't remember exactly, but someone had asked her were and someone had asked her would any of the singles be on the new album, and she had said probably just Constance which we'll get into later on, that song. So I kind of have to assume that Holy Roller being on Eternal Blue was an executive decision by Rise Records, or at least the idea was presented to Spirit Box from Rise. Because when you have a song that has achieved the numbers of Holy Roller, why wouldn't you want it on this record? And I do think it stands out. It doesn't really feel like it blends in with the rest of the material here. Uh, but all that being said, I did an episode back in March about like my favorite songs of the pandemic era. I had Holy Roller on there. Holy Roller was a top 10 song for myself last year. And I want everyone listening to this to understand right now that Holy Roller is my least favorite song on Eternal Blue. That is how fucking good and strong and magnificent the rest of the material on this record is. The record opens with Sun Killer, which has um, almost like um, electronic elements going for it at certain points, especially in the intro. And it's kind of building itself up. And having listened to a lot of this or all of the singles before this record's release, they did what I had said about uh, the plot in you, where like there are a lot of different sounds going on here, a lot of different tones, a lot of different directions. So you cannot really just like go into Eternal Blue and have in mind what you think the record is going to sound like in like a broad sense in like a summarization sense so sun killer opening the way that it does was a, a really really cool touch to the record and you're immediately hit with the incredible lyricism on the part of courtney and how like just easily this shit comes to her or at least that's how it sounds I was born to break, shallow paradise, consumed I ignore, meteoric rise, if the blade is dull, there is consequence, you displace the host, there is no defense. So, Sun Killer kind of paces itself really, really well, because it, the, the first chorus does not, like, fully erupt into the massive song that Sun Killer ends up being. You kind of have to wait a little bit for that, the build-up is there in the second verse, and then the chorus, it has, like, that euphoric moment where you're like, oh my fucking god, man, this is eternal blue. And then there's a, a quick section where it reminds me of that uh, portion of Nihilus Blues by Bring Me the Horizon between the first chorus and then Grimes part. It's like this pulsating electronic rhythm and Courtney is like whispering, Sun Killer, sing me to sleep. 
and then there's this pause, and then she comes back in just full-on screaming those same lyrics, and it is just this perfect introduction to what Eternal Blue is going to be ultimately. Uh, from there, the record goes into Hurt You, which did get released as a single last month. I had said on this show that Hurt You had like certain new metal f- uh, element, like elements going on for it, a certain new metal vibe to it, and that is one of the strongest vocal performances I've ever heard from Courtney on the chorus. I hope you find what you're fighting for. I am happier when I hurt you. Your medicine is the coldest war. I am happier when I hurt you. The transition from the ending of Hurt You into the intro of Yellow Jacket is so fucking seamless and it just sounds so natural and I love when songs on records are able to do that. Yellow Jacket actually features Sam Carter from Architects on vocals and there's like uh, bits of like dueling vocals happening between himself and Courtney and it works so so fucking well and that was an instance where I think like if someone is listening to Spearbox for the first time on this record and they have an understanding of just how crucial and important Architects are to this record, then one of the first things they're going to understand about Spirit Box is that Courtney and Spirit Box all together, they really, really hold their own with a, a singer who is as, you know, renowned as Sam Carter, and that is beautiful in my opinion. After Yellow Jacket, the record kind of gives you a break momentarily with The Summit, which is one of the slower songs on the record. Also, like, my favorite as far as the non-singles go for right now, um... I know I've used this to describe some other song in the past on this podcast. The Summit reminds me of the opening song to Serial Experiments Lane. It just kind of has like that, like almost like a 90s flair to it in certain points. And I'm mainly referring to the guitar tones here. Uh, the Summit is the first song on the record up to this point that has no screaming. It is just Courtney providing the enchanting cleans that we all know she can by this point. And it, the chorus is like really, really catchy and one of the more effective on the record in my opinion, the venom is what keeps me alive, the venom is what keeps me alive, up to the summit at night, desperate to find that beating heart of mine that always makes me run. And w- with the summit, I think, like, again, if you're, if this is your first time hearing Spirit Box, the summit is going to catch you so off fucking guard, man, because everything up to that record, up to that point, tells you, like, hey, this is a heavy band, and they're unapologetically heavy for that matter, and then the summit comes in, and it's like, oh yeah, by the way, they're also melodic as fuck, and they're good at it. Secret Garden is, uh, on a personal note, my biggest regret with this podcast, because when it came out, I did not put it at number one on Scenic Overlook. I recorded some bullshit 20-minute episode that I just wanted to, like, half-ass and put out there, and that was where I talked about Secret Garden. So this is the first time that I'm actually really, really getting a chance to emphasize how perfect of a song I think Secret Garden is. It might actually be my favorite song on the entire record, just putting it out there. Secret Garden, it's another song that has no screaming in it. It's just Courtney doing what she does best. And then the instrumentation on that song is just really, really wild and out there. And in particular, in like the pre-chorus, the bass is just going absolutely apeshit. And everything kind of comes back together towards the end of the song where Courtney is just like reiterating over and over again the lines, nobody waits for me, nobody takes for me. And there will come a point where I really, really get to talk about like what Secret Garden means to me. But this is one of the most like, like, like evoking songs of the year in terms of the emotions that it brings out of me and what it's able to do to me and how easily moved to tears I am by Secret Garden, even with it not really being like a slower song. There, there's a lot of energy to Secret Garden and 
it's an example of like spirit box able to take whatever it is that they want to do and do that shit to the fullest extent of a band's capabilities and prowess so as a listener you were given a break from the heaviness through the summit and then secret garden and then for the next two songs that break is taken away and you're thrown right back into the fucking deep end with soaking the strings which is just like one of the cooler instances on this record of spirit box getting at their heaviest and being like that ferocious band that i think a lot of people were exposed to as being their identity back when they first heard them on holy roller and then like speaking of holy roller that is the next song and i already said what i needed to about holy roller it is a perfect song i love everything about holy roller holy roller is one of the best metalcore songs i've ever listened to and again it is also my least favorite song on eternal blue we Live in a Strange World is one of the coolest things on all of Eternal Blue. This is kind of Spiritbox's Amo moment. We Live in a Strange World is the softest song on the record. It's the one that has the most pop flair to it. It, it There is like the sense of like pop-driven stuff going on. Um, a lot of electronics um, happening in the background. And then Courtney just, you know, uh, again, like she did earlier on the summit, is just using her voice to its fullest extent as far as cleans go and there's there's so many cool things i could say about we live in a strange world and just how how seamless it is fitting onto this kind of a, a record and yeah man we live in a strange world is everything that i could have asked for like a more pop side of spirit box to be i only just now realized that i skipped over the title track when talking about uh, eternal blue the title track to the record is this perfect combination of spirit boxes like heavy and softer sides and all of that comes together to make this really really beautiful song that like even in its like um even even though like it's more melodic in the terms of the vocal delivery there's still a breakdown later on yet that breakdown it still has all of those like um euphoric elements going for it and it still sounds like so beautiful while being heavy and that is a fucking accomplishment on the part of spirit box i think halcyon is a very deceptive song because i didn't even realize until listening to it for the second time that while it sounds heavy all throughout it like in the instrumentation courtney does not actually scream until the outro so you know she's like doing her thing on the verses and the chorus and the chorus is like again i i really really want to just keep reading off courtney's lyrics and i lay to waste my life halcyon days and nights so i could be one of them i could be one of them Promises buried twice, down when they won't survive, so I could be one of them, gripping the relevance. And what ends up happening with Halcyon is, all of that beauty is meant to build up to the outro, which, that is an instance where, like, the beauty, I would say, is kind of stripped away, and you do get just full-on, in-your-face fucking metalcore spirit box, and they are maybe the best band in the world, as far as, like, being able to pull that stuff off. So there are two songs left on the record after that, and they were released as singles prior. So by this point, if you've gotten through Halcyon and you already listened to Circle With Me and Constance back when they came out like months and months ago, you've completed Eternal Blue. Congratulations. Just sit down and let these two songs that you're already familiar with completely en enchant you and engulf you. Circle With Me, um, that song I think was like... I think Circle With Me was the first, like, good instance of, like, what you generally could expect on, um, on Eternal Blue, because Holy Roller and Constance kind of exist in their own realms, and then Circle With Me does what a lot of other songs on this record do in terms of mixing 
like the the cleans from Courtney with her screams and circle with me the pre-chorus in particular is like one of the standout moments from the record i keep playing it over and over again and that's been the case since it dropped back in april as a single negative feedback loop i'm spinning out of control the sickly sweetness is crushing me but i want to know if there's no heat when i escalate the fire is cold they echo this could all be yours and so circle with me sets the stage for constance which is the final song on the record constance came out last december and it was a song that I I loved it the first time I heard it, but it was also hard to fully attach myself to it because up to that point in my life, I had never dealt with loss on such a personal level, such a close level before. And uh, some of you listening to this right now might know, but um, uh, back in May, um, I, I lost my cat Mikasa, and dealing with her passing has been the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. And when I was listening to Constance uh, pretty recently, it kind of just hit me like, this song does not have to specifically be about losing somebody to dementia. It can just be about like knowing that you're losing somebody and knowing that there's nothing you can do to stop what's happening. And I do not want to get like really, really personal about the specifics of what happened to Mikasa, but it did feel like I was like watching it all happen in real time. And in my brain, I knew what was happening and there was nothing I could do to, you know, reverse everything going on as badly as I wanted to. I couldn't. And when when listening to Constance and then understanding like that is how I can relate to the song. And that makes something like the chorus, it just infinitely more difficult to swallow. It's hard to lose and wonder why you pressure in increments like a slow moving coop memories dissident when i am holding you and the ending to constance you know everybody who's listened to the song before has already raved about it already knows just how powerful it is that moment where the song gets heavier and heavier and feels like it's like descending into hell before stopping and i think what that achieves is kind of the like in a way it's the sonic like version of death where at the end there is so much like pain and suffering on the part of not only the person who is passing but also their loved ones and then the final outro is like this just peace and and bliss and it's like that's kind of what death is like it it hurts so badly when it's happening and then afterwards you understand like hey this person they're, they're gone now and they feel nothing right now there is no pain on their part they are you know i i don't know what people, people's like you know religious perspectives are so i'm not really going to get into that but it's like they they've moved on now from whatever they were going through and there is serenity in that through all the pain and i've really tried not to like um you know go on and on about constants in this review on such a such a dark and like emo manner but that that's what constance brings out of me that's what i think constance brings out of everyone listening to it and i i usually don't ever like when bands put out closers as singles beforehand but with constance it makes perfect sense and everything about that song just caps off eternal blue in the most grandiose way possible and you know i i feel I am almost crying right now. I want people to understand that. I really, really am almost crying, not just because of like what Constance does to me, 
But what this whole record does to me, Eternal Blue, I cannot imagine being Spirit Box and having like this kind of pressure on you and the expectations that everyone is setting for you. And at that same, uh, in that same breath, I also cannot imagine being Spirit Box and delivering this record that not only meets all those expectations, but surpasses them in every way imaginable. Eternal Blue is a goddamn fucking masterpiece, man. It is one of the coolest things I've ever listened to in my life. It is one of the best records ever that I've ever been exposed to. Everything leading up to this point has been worth the wait on the part of Spirit Box. They, they, they need to become the biggest band in metal or metalcore, whatever it is that they're actually doing. They need to become the biggest band in the world at their sound. And I want to close off the review with, um, like an expansion on something that Shane told the vocalist from Silverstein said to Courtney on his podcast about a year ago. And he basically said like, um, oh, you know, one day you guys will be opening for Bring Me the Horizon. One day, Spearbox will be co-headlining with Bring Me the Horizon, and they will have that same reach as Bring Me the Horizon. Spearbox is the band that we need to champion. They are our future. They are everything to us, and we need to act like it. So, that was it. That was every record and single from last week that I had to talk about, and you guys really, really do not understand like how, how excited I was to record this episode because I knew I was going to come on here and I was going to talk about not just Bring Me the Horizon, but also Spirit Box and Idola and The Plot and You and just so many bands that like mean the fucking world to me and I hold so close to my heart. And it's like this dumb scene has such a stranglehold on me that this is the kind of shit that moves me when there's not really much else in my life that is able to like pull me out of like pits of despair and uplift me. It's this music that does that. And it is just so beautiful and I really really cannot thank these bands enough for what they've done for me and I cannot thank all of you right now enough for taking the time to listen to me ramble about this stuff so all that being said thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode and as always for better or worse let's make a scene